I'm Vince. I'm R2. We're two middle-aged guys from the Midwest with opinions on RPGs. Let's get into it. We're going to ruin your games. Oh. All right. What's up, R2? Hold on a minute before we start. I've got to, I got to flip this table. I'm so angry at you. Why? I, no, no real reason. We're just actually going to talk about our worst table-breaking experiences today. Oh, that's fun. That's great. Yeah, this is. We, we've gone from session zero and setting up the limits to prevent table breaks to actually talking about our worst table breaks. So why don't you start out? What What are we even talking about here? Yeah, what is table break? Table break is situations that happen either in character or out of character that cause strife amongst the group, either in or out of character. It can be relationship breakdown between two characters that puts them at, at odds, at loggerheads, uh, or they don't want to work with each other anymore. It could be uh, a breakdown between players, people having real-life issues with each other. It could be the DM coming into a situation like player agency affects the game in a way they didn't anticipate, and they try to account for the curveball and fail spectacularly. Yes, I think we're going to touch on some examples of all of those, because this is going to be a story time episode, largely. But what I'll say before we get into the individual stories is one of the things that is advantageous about this, is, and, and I think this can be a silver lining. I don't want to define this like it's only bad. What I mean by that is I think that a good break, a healthy break amongst the characters can yield really interesting role-playing. As long as all of the players are on board and friends and know what they're doing, right? And and behave accordingly. What I mean by that is like, they act like they're going to be, they're, they are continuing to be friends in real life, right? Yeah. And everybody is consensually having a fake argument, but they're doing it in character. Yeah, if you have a, a table break scenario happen in character, two characters become at odds with each other, as long as everyone out of character is invested in the story and agree with how it's going, that can be a fantastic source of drama yeah. for the, the stories continuing. Yeah, and in fact, the lack of that, I think, is often one of the downsides, downfalls, shortcomings, whatever the appropriate word would be, of many D&D groups. I think a lot of times people either have real problems... Right? Like, that is, say, the players come to loggerheads, and it's that's a negative situation, basically, always. Or, everybody's hunky-dory the whole time, and everybody just avoids conflict. Like, oh, okay, I, I won't do that. I didn't know you didn't want me to do that. Right? I, I won't make that bad decision. I won't do that silly thing. I won't make that wrong choice. Because you, you're, because you told me to, right? And it's like, no. In every piece of media that you love, people make dumb decisions and come to, like cohesive groups come to loggerheads with each other yeah when's the last time you read a good fantasy story where all of the characters that you were focusing on were in perfect lockstep with each other and had zero disagreements the entire time right it's unfathomable right even if we go to like the lord of the rings which is about this group that seems to be quite tightly bonded they end up breaking up, literally table breaking in the middle of the story because Frodo's like, nah, I'm, I'm not doing this with everybody else. Boromir turns on him, right? He gets in a boat with Sam and they leave. Two party members get kidnapped. Right. It's just all over the shop, okay? That is the... 
in that granddaddy of all stories, the group, the penultimate group of sort of, you know, nine adventurers, at the end of the story, they're not even together. They're not together for the rest of the entire story until they're back in, in wherever they end up. I don't even remember where, where he's recovering. R- Rivendell, I think, but... Yeah, probably. Probably. It's always Rivendell. Sure. I mean, Elrond's there, so I assume it's Rivendell. Um, and, you know, so, like, I think it's just... I, I think of a show like The Umbrella Academy, where it's the exact opposite of it. They fight all the time and constantly. No two characters get along ever, 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 ever. They just constantly snipe and fight with each other. They're constantly antagonistic. Now, that's probably more than most players could handle to play that type of game. But my point is that drama, exactly what you said that's created, is valuable. Yeah, it can serve to continue not only the the story that's happening around the party, it can further relationships within the party. Conflict leads to opportunities to grow and bond. Yep, agreed. All right, so so let's do story time now. Now that we've laid down the sort of silver lining, because the other things are all fairly obvious. Like, my guess is most people have had a game where, you know, there was a fight amongst the players or between the players and the GM or, or something like that. So we're going to share some stories, but I want to start with the good stories, okay? What are the good table breaks that, that we've had or that you've had in the years? We, we've played together for a long time now. Yeah, I'd say the example of a good table break, that was must have been 10 years ago. At least. More? Yeah. We had a we had a group, we were performing covert missions for the king of this land. And as we were performing these missions, they began, began to become more and more morally dubious. They, they were operating in this, this strange gray area. And we had some people who were strong loyalists to the king. Whatever the king was ordering, that was what we were going to do. That was what was right, yep. because it's the king giving the order. And then we had other uh, another half of the party, roughly, that was not on board with that that line of thought, that, that didn't want to do evil things, regardless of who it was in service of. And about, uh, what do you say, like a third of the way through the game, maybe half? Probably halfway through the game. That came to a real head, and the party split. Yep. Yep. And and I'll say this was so I was running this game and this was more or less intentional. Like this game predated Spec Ops the line by many years, but it very much was a sort of Spec Ops the line plot where my goal was to see if I could take upstanding righteous characters and turn them into monsters because the king was a monster, but he knew that the people who worked for him were good. And that he couldn't just say, hey, go start executing children or something, right? That's going to be immediately everybody would have been like, ah, and revolted, right? So he had to boil the frog. You have to turn that heat up slowly. Right. And so I wrote the whole campaign of where, exactly as you said, every mission got slightly darker, slightly more morally gray, right? The actions becoming more clearly dubious and evil, right? But the sunk cost carrying you along of, well, we did the last thing, we should also do the next thing, and it's for the greater good anyways. My hands are already dirty. What's one more job? Yeah. And so what ended up happening here is, yes, the party split completely in two. And half of the party stayed effectively in-world, like their base was in-world. Half of the party 
took up residence in Sigil in Planescape because this was a fairly high level game by this point, and so people could move back and forth between portals and planar things pretty easily. Yeah. And, and yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. And the, the funny part was that we, we had this break and we would get new missions and then the party would come back together to perform that mission. Half of the half of the team uh, trying to just do the mission, the other half trying to prevent any evil consequences from that mission. Right. And then immediately when the when the mission was concluded, the two parties would break again, go their separate ways, and continue plotting against each other. Right, right, exactly. And this happened many times. They would, because y'all would send or whatever back and forth to each other and just be like, hey, we need you, this important thing's going on, and the other group would, would still show up and help their friends, right? And exactly what you said, oftentimes, if there was a sort of MacGuffin they were trying to retrieve, right, they would... Then the other group that was trying to rebel against the king or, or be morally upstanding or whatever you want to say, the sort of chaotic good versus lawful evil is effectively the paradigm we were operating on here at this point, right? And that group would try to steal the MacGuffin for themselves and, you know, take it away back to Sigil to their base to hide it so the king couldn't have it or, or whatever. And all the players were, were still, like, again, there was no player animosity. This was all in good fun. Yeah, I think that was the real key, is, is making sure that everyone out of character is still invested in the story and still on board for what's happening out of character, even when things are tense and uncertain in character. Like, continuing to check in with players during these type of tense scenarios often is the difference between the ending of a campaign and a great story. Right. And, you know, people say, don't split the party. This was the ultimate party split. Literally, the party split completely. That's what's so funny about it. And yet, they were still had a great time. It was functional. You know, obviously, I tuned all the the challenges, so I wasn't killing anyone or whatever for the most part. I mean, it's. I think we were still playing third edition at that point, so yeah. people died. Um, so this had to be more than ten years ago. But at any rate, it was a while back. So I think you can get this, and even if they're not that big, I can think of lots of times. Where, for example, your character and, and my character have come to beef or, or you know, gone head-to-head -head in yeah, games. It, it literally just happened last Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're a motherfucker. <laughs> what did I do this time? You want to tell this story real quick? You're, you uh, are a fucking sleeper agent for the group of magical assassin fascist wizards that tortured my character for five years i am no such thing but yes you, i understand that's the thing about sleeper agents you don't know until you know gotcha i don't know that i'm a sleeper agent yeah i understand now yes absolutely and that was a great little moment of like conflict and so on uh it was good all right so you can have these happy moments i can think of lots of times where our characters have butted heads and it's it comes out better it's moments of growth but let's talk about the actual table breaking stuff. Yeah. Where this, and see if we can extract what went wrong. Okay. Yeah, now we're getting into the bad stuff. This is more, more out of character beef. Yes. Let's talk about frogs. Okay, sure. Absolutely. Let's talk about frogs. The background behind this is too complicated to explain because it has to do with a character I was playing under one of our friends in our mutual group. And that character, I want to do a future episode or two about playing a character who's in control 
who knows a lot, like who is a sort of mastermind and how exhausting that is. Like, it's really hard. It's easy to do that when you're the GM to have a mastermind character under your control, like a villain. To do that as a player, to have be running that spy game on everybody, to be knowing at all times, to be manipulating every situation to your benefit or to the benefit of the group or whatever, or to somebody else's disadvantage, is absolutely exhausting. And I want to deep dive on that sometimes. But at any rate, I was playing this sort of mastermind character, right? Who who was very much about, you know, having every everybody was a was a marionette, right, to be moved around. And because of this, a need came up to introduce Chaos Ball and the way that Chaos Ball happened to prevent a power equilibrium from shifting was my character had the little bag of beans or whatever, planted some random beans, and a, a whole host of interesting things happened that created chaos. One of which was the frogs. It, the frogs popped up that are little pink toads that hop around. And if you touch them... Mm-hmm the polymorph on them breaks and they turn into some random monster. Could be a wolf, could be a vulture demon. Sure, absolutely. Anything can work. Now, they're just frogs. My character was fully aware of this magic item and its capabilities, knew that this was a possibility, and the frogs are only supposed to stick around for like a minute or an hour or something like that. Not a super long amount of time. Some limited time. And again... They're just frogs. They're just frogs. It is a normal toad. I I know we're using those two words interchangeably when they are not as a point of fact, but the point is, is it is a completely natural, normal creature. It hops around. It's not in any threat. And if you don't want to interact with it, you could just walk around it. It's a frog. Now, the ironic part here was at the same time, I should state you and I were also frogs. These were toads. You and I were actually frogs in this game. But... The GM decided when we went and did this dungeon, which was also a result of the bag of beans and was ridiculously hard. It was just a a mummy lord's pyramid summoned on top of a wizard's tower. Correct. Uh, This was like a challenge rating 17 dungeon. And I think we were level or something like that. Maybe 14, 14, I think. It was a challenge rating 14 dungeon. And we were level six, seven, six six or seven, somewhere in there. Yeah. Now, we had help going into this. We didn't go in raw. Like, we knew it was there. We were able to stock up. We brought help, yada, yada, yada. Okay? But... Still, still died in the first fight. You did still die in... Well, it was like the second fight, but yes. The uh, first real fight. Yeah, sure. So, the GM decided these frogs didn't go away and had instead infested the dungeon. Yeah, spread all throughout as a weird, hazardous terrain. Basically. That's what they turned into, basically. Absolutely what they were. So, when the party would try to just walk around the frog because everyone had to be in a little hallway or something right yeah some place where you couldn't just walk the long way around these normal frogs would target choke points Mm -hmm. within the dungeon Mm -hmm. and hang out there waiting to strike yes and you would have to make a dexterity check i believe not even a save because then too many characters would have proficiency you see right right (laughs) to actually avoid touching the frog and it was a reasonably difficult check and if we killed the frog, they just transformed. Yeah. Which is not how they're supposed to work either. Okay, like if you if you just kill the frog, it dies. You have to actually touch it to interact with it. But at any rate, fine. So so now we're we're dealing with this nonsense 
of getting around these frogs as they keep just spawning into monsters because a normal toad. I would point out I was playing an incredibly dexterous character. My character could leap 25 feet from a, basically from a standstill, 15 feet up in the air, you know, could easily dodge aside fireballs with no second thought. On paper, you could climb. Yeah, on... <laughs> correct. Just climb right up the side of a, of a building. You know, I mean, I am... I am Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible, side of buildings, you know, Jet Li stuff, right? But apparently, a normal frog can't just say, I don't touch it. Exactly the kind of thing that the GM should not require a check for. We know what it is. Oh, also, none of his monsters ever made this check. No. They would they would just step around the, no one. the frogs. Not, not a one. So... This just caused unbelievable frustration already. So the, so so everybody's already hot, right? Because we feel that an injustice has been done to us, right? As players, we're hot. It doesn't make any sense. Why are we having to go through all of this trouble around stupid frogs? That's the that's the groundwork yeah. into which this next discussion comes. That just like it's just a it's it's the match that lights the powder keg. Do you remember what the next portion was? No, no, enlighten me. Okay. So then what ends up happening is we are trying to move through something dangerous. Now, if you remember, we had brought a paladin with us who was a little bit higher level than, than us. We didn't like know that in character. We just went out and there was a paladin who was in one of the groups. Blah, blah, blah. Long story short, they were willing to help us clear out this, this evil place. So, and having this higher level paladin was extremely beneficial because they're a high level paladin. They have a 10 foot aura where their charisma bonus adds to all saving throws of everybody in the space. Yeah. Okay. Great benefit. Huge benefit. One of, one of the best things about paladin, right? And this paladin had a really good charisma. So this represented a really big bonus. We were encountering hazards in this dungeon that were extremely deadly. I think at this point you're actually dead. Oh yeah, I, like I said, my my crime frog died in the second fight. We fought a, a death eye beholder, I think. Yeah, whatever it they are. It wasn't a zombie beholder. No, it was the death eye. Yeah, death eye beholder. Or death's head. Death sight, whatever. Yeah, something. Evil undead beholder hits me with his death ray, uh, kills me, and turns me into a zombie. Meaning we can't just revivify you or anything like that. You're just dead, dead. Because if you read the the entry in the monster manual for a zombie. Creatures that have been turned into zombies cannot be resurrected using normal means. Right. So you're out of the fight. Yeah. And so you and you were one of our like main tanks slash damage dealers. So you're you're already out of it. We're down party members, right? In a dungeon far out uh, far outclassing our normal capabilities. Right. With the addition of frogs that turn into even more monsters on top of the stuff that's here. Correct. And we're we we tell the GM, okay, this is our marching order. Right, we're gonna, the paladin's basically in the middle and we're gonna be around and in the aura so we can do this. And then he throws some kind of hazard or effect at us or something and we're like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get to make the roll and we'll get this particular bonus. And he's like, nope, you can't get the bonus. And I was like, why couldn't we get the bonus? And he's like, well, you're outside the aura. I was like, it is a 10 foot aura. He's like, well, you can't all fit in there. And I got up and I was just, I mean, I was... I was just over the line at this point. And I'll admit, I got too pissed, right? But I was just like, it's 10 feet. That is four, like in a 10 by 10 hallway. That is now. <laughs> four squares in front, one square to the side, two squares behind. That is how this works. 
That is the aura. Okay? So, there are not nine of us. So, yes, we can, in fact, all fit in this space. And I, like, drew it out angrily. I was angrily drawing and chastising him. About halfway through, he had given up, but uh, by that point, it was too late. It was too late. I was, I was like, the on. train had left the station. Yes, like I was, and, and admittedly, this is me going over the line. Okay, yeah. which happens. Like these, these sort of tense situations. Like sometimes people get emotional. Yeah, and that's okay. Like I think that shows, uh, oftentimes, how invested we are in what we're doing. Right. Now, I want to talk about how we brought that back because it was pretty obvious. Like we we. We had like this big blow up. We kept playing. And then at the end of the night, after everybody cooled down, I was like, all right, we're not, I'm not letting everybody leave. So I locked the doors and chained everybody down. No, I didn't do that. And I was like, look, we need to, we need to talk. And we just all had a big open discussion about our feelings, about what happened, about how we were feeling. We had an open talk. Let's, what led to this? How do we prevent this in the future? I directly apologized for being a, 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 a an idiot and getting too angry in the moment. And and we just literally hashed it out as a group right there and took some lessons learned. And we sat down and dealt with the issues head on. We didn't let people just say, no, no, I'm fine. No, no, you're not. Yeah, It's always better to have these discussions and and really air out situations that happen. Like having more communication is is never a bad thing right okay do you want to talk about your table break you want to talk about crab people yeah so uh another type of table break is uh when a dm a storyteller gets a curveball thrown at them that they just did not anticipate for at all and in situations like that that's always an opportunity right the the, the players are taking the story in a new direction and it's up to you and your ability to improvise and, and take that new information in and successfully yes and what they're doing right. and, and take the story in that new direction. But sometimes it just doesn't work like you thought it would and things turn south. Sometimes you improv and it's just a miss. Mm-hmm. So this was even further back. Uh, one of my first times running a game for the, for the, the group that we play in, uh, I was running a, a superhero game. Yep. Uh, to be a hero. Yep. Uh, TMCR, Ventureland Games. Yeah, sure. Uh, Don't look it up. It's not a good game. <laughs> it's a product of its time, let's say. Sure. But we were playing a superhero game. We were The group was the super group of this uh, new uh, manufactured sort of neo-utopia, this uh, technocratic paradise. The, the goal of the city was that all of the problems of, of normal modern society would be solved with machines and AI. And we got to a point where the mayor had been affected by uh, some serum that, that turned him into a supervillain. And he was out. Mm-hmm. We, had, we needed a new mayor. And the person running for mayor was a supposedly reformed supervillain. Right. He had gotten out of jail. He'd done his time. And he was, he was campaigning on urban renewal, actually delivering on the promise of the city uh, that had thus far uh, escaped uh, the grasp of, of the citizens. And he was he was putting together a good campaign. He was probably going to win. Yep. And the party uh, collectively decided, no, we cannot let this happen. We know this guy's dirty. We have to find someone to run against him. So uh, one of the party members decided to run for mayor. Yep, sure. Standard. We're, we're, we're right in... 
exactly the traditional superhero paradigm here you would expect. And it's a tough campaign. It's it's close, but near the uh, at the wire's edge, at the end of the wire, mm-hmm. uh, he's losing. Yeah. The the party's desperately casting about in all directions for some edge, some way to to beat this this supervillain yep. and and take the mayorship. And so I I I put out an offer that I had anticipated would not be taken at all, which is a Lex Luthor figure shows up and you you know who you, you know who Lex Luthor is. Right. He's an awful evil supervillain, megalomaniacal evil genius billionaire. Right. Worst of the worst. No yep. redeeming qualities. Right. This guy shows up and says, "Hey, I can solve all your problems, uh, your campaign finance problems, your perception issues. All you have to do is cut me a blank check for a facility I'm going to set up in your city uh, with no oversight, and I'll make you mayor. You you cut me this one blank check, and you be mayor. Yep. And I was like, no way will this group of upstanding superheroes take this offer. Right. It just makes sense. Who would take that? Yes. Except they did take it. Yes. Of course they took it. They wanted to win. (laughs) (laughs) Never underestimate a player's desire to win. So they take the offer. They sign the contract. And two weeks later, uh, in an unexpected landslide, Mm -hmm. they win this dirty rigged election. Yep. And now uh, one of the one of the party members is the illegitimate mayor of this city. Uh huh. And I had nothing. Right, because you had not planned for this reality. Yeah, my next, like, my next, like, whole, like, few weeks of arc was that the supervillain actually won. And the next few weeks was investigating him and finding out if he was dirty, how he was dirty, and then the master plan unfolding and and the the heroes uh, having an opportunity to stop him. Sure. But instead, he just, he... He lost. He faded into the background, and the party was in this dubious position of authority. So I had, I did what what any any reasonable DM would do. I had a time skip. The the Lex Luthor figure uh, established his his facility, and then some months later, I had crab people attack the state house. Sure, because that's just where we jumped to, yeah. and very quickly the game one just thing, went off the rails. One thing led to another, and crab people attacked the mayor's office. Right. And basically, we didn't go back and play the game after that because it just kind of was obvious that we were off the rails. Yeah, and it, it was an unfortunate end. I feel like with my experience now, I could certainly account for that situation much better. But in those sort of scenarios, sometimes you just have a dud. And crab people is, is a lesson that I will take with me into the future. And it, Vince even has a, a little poster uh, on the wall in his room commemorating the the legend of crab people that's right yes the old roger corman movie attack of the crab monsters i think that the the ultimate lesson here is is that table breaking when it's willing and happening at the players behest to create drama and conflict and the players are in on it and doing it together is positive and creates drama and is beneficial table breaking when it's the players at each other's throat or antagonistic with the dm or when the or or when the dm just doesn't know what to do going forward, right? And it breaks the story. You have to see that stuff coming as best you can. And that's why from now on, when, and we've talked about this, one of the one of the inspect and adapts and sort of go forward adjustments we made is 
if we feel like something's unfair or we're getting hot or we want to have a discussion outside the game, don't just press ahead and keep playing. Like, and, and this goes for if they choose something completely insane, right? I don't think you have to let players do whatever you want if it's completely demolishing to your story. Like, you want to let, give players freedom and you want to make it the real world. But you should always feel like, whether it's because of a choice made in the story, whether it's because of emotions that are running hot, whether it's whatever, that somebody can hit the pause button and stop and say, hold on. I know we all want to get our game going. I know we all want to beat the monster. I know we all want to get the next level. I know we all want to understand the resolution of this story arc, whatever. But let's just talk for a minute. Let's take five minutes and just have a, a person conversation. Let's set the game aside. Why are we pissed right now? What's going on? What do we feel is unfair? Let's, let's talk this out and have a reasonable human conversation about it. You know, if you, you could have stopped and said like, hey, look, I... You shouldn't choose this. I'll be honest with you. I don't have a lot planned for that path. Yeah. If you choose this, we're probably going to end the session here. Give me some weeks to figure out what the direction forward from here is. Right. Rather than let's let's forge ahead. I right. can I can do this. Right. Exactly. So have those I think open honest conversations with your players with each other with the GM. That's what stops these table breaks from happening. And it sounds so stupid and obvious, but it's so easy when you're in the heat of it to not do it. It's really easy. And so I would encourage people to take the time, stop, ask those questions, and really you will see a great benefit to it. All right, we should call it there because this is already a long episode. Uh, we've been going for a while. This is a good one. This is value for the for your dollar. Absolutely. And maybe uh, maybe we'll come back to this again, and I'll tell you about the time that D and D gaslit me. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. Uh, we will definitely add that to the list. For now, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Don't forget to rate, review, you know, five stars if you can, whatever. Leave a review for this. We're on all your major podcast apps, so do the appropriate things there. If you're interested in finding out more or, you know, whatever, I also have a YouTube channel focused on Warhammer under my name, Vincent Venturella. You can check it out there. If you've got suggestions for future topics, there is an email down there attached. You can certainly use the email and send in topics. We always love that. But as always, we thank you so much for watching or listening or doing whatever you're doing. And we'll see you next time. Peace. Peace.